Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Well, hello everybody, here we are again. It is yet another episode of Securing Bridges. I'm Alyssa Miller and super thrilled to have you all here with us today. It's been a while, right? We've been doing this a few months now. We're on like episode 15. Holy cow, how did we get here so fast? And our every single episode, I swear, I don't think our our guests can get any better and they just continue to top themselves. They're, they're great, they're awesome. So if you haven't seen those first 14 episodes, you really should go back and watch them because we have had some amazing, amazing conversations on here. You're missing out if you haven't seen them. But you're here today and that's what matters most and I'm super excited that you're here. I'm also super excited about this next guest. Like, oh, this is this is one I I definitely, I mean, I've had pretty much every one of them red circled on my calendar, but this is one that was really exciting when we booked it. And I I just I can't say enough about our guest today. So enough of me. I'm gonna shut up and let you know that we've got Liz Wharton here with us. Hey Liz, how are you? Hey, I've like equally excited. This is a fangirl moment to be able to dish with you and everybody else. So I'm just, hell yeah. Okay. This is right. This is the see, these are the conversations I love because I just know we're gonna tear into some stuff. So before we get started though, um easiest way to start, let let's introduce you. Just go ahead and tell the folks out there who you are, what you do, in case some of them don't know who you are yet. <laughs> And it happens. But so I'm Liz Wharton uh, at Lawyer Liz on Twitter and have been, I'd say I'm a recovering attorney, but one, I still wear the legal hat a bunch. And uh, two, I don't think you ever really recover from being a lawyer. It just kind of sticks in you. But I am the VP of operations at Scythe. We are an adversary emulation uh, platform, a startup. And this is not my first rodeo with startups. Uh, I switched from being primarily a technology and policy attorney. Most recently was uh, with the city of Atlanta and was the technology attorney for the world's busiest airport. But I took the wild jump into startup world and now get to, you know, I'd say be in charge, but help build and have a more hands-on impact with the cybersecurity InfoSec community. It's awesome. And it, it, it brings, see, this is part of why I'm so excited to have you because you bring a really interesting perspective too, right? I mean, a lot of times in these conversations, especially when we think about like, okay, building bridges between security and everyone else, we kind of start to think at like executive levels. And even, you know, you heard the tagline in the show, like, you know, talking about security leaders. And when we think about startups, a lot of times, um, you know, non-security startups, security is kind of that thing that doesn't show up until a lot later in the process. So I, I love hearing about your background in startups and I'm just kind of curious 
if you can share a little bit more about, you know, sort of how your experience has been just in those startups of really trying to bring security conversations into businesses, whether they're your own startup or whether they're your customers that you're working with. Well, and it's, it's, great to be involved. And so if people are have an idea that they're percolating, kicking around and say, all right, this is what you should do. I cannot, cannot highlight enough how much easier things are when you have somebody from the legal side of things that is embedded and joining the conversation early on because it allows me to one craft our internal operations with an eye towards like, Hey, we can't get breached because gosh, that's going to be super embarrassing. If we have to tell our, our own customers, like, Hey, we help you build better security, but we didn't listen to our own advice. Uh, but, and, and I have that, uh, having been through ransomware attacks at, uh, you know, at Atlanta and other, uh, working with researchers, when I hear stories of, oh, we don't need to worry about that. That'll ne never happen. I'm like, oh, really? Because I swear I helped the person who is doing the research on this two weeks ago. And yeah, you just don't know you've been hit yet. Uh, but having those conversations, but also building better within our product and saying, you know, that's going to be a pitfall later on. How about we address this now? And then I can help like minimize, you know, the impact, the pain later. So it's, it's been great. And we're going to use great loosely startups. Are they ever really great? Uh, I mean, it has been a super fun adventure that I would not change for anything, but I really have seen the impact and hopefully our customers, my colleagues, our company have all seen the impact as well. When you, can bridge those uh, conversations early. So, I mean, one of the things I really like about this is that lawyer background, because it, it, you come with a very different perspective than, you know, someone who's maybe been a technologist their whole life and, you know, been so immersed in technology and security and how we do these things. And, you know, we like to oftentimes deride the lawyers, right? And, you know, we always, we always complain about the lawyers until there's a breach and then they're the first person that we're coached now to turn to, right? I mean, cybersecurity executives are being told more and more, if you're dealing with an incident, the first thing you do is establish the connection with your lawyer and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of hopefully it's external counsel and you get, you know, cause you're looking to establish privilege and everything else. So have you seen from your perspective, have you been able to watch like a, maybe an evolution there? It feels like or something, or what has been your experience? Well, in admittedly, uh, that first instinct is not necessarily wrong. Uh, lawyers tend to be the place of no, uh, and that has created a bad taste. Like nobody ever wants to call legal. Uh, but on the flip side, remembering that we're all on the same team. And yes, it really the best place or best time I saw that and the benefits of it was I had already established a good re working relationship with the different uh, C-suite offices at the city of Atlanta. And having built that trust, not only myself, but the entire law department. And when stuff started going sideways, 
they felt comfortable enough to know that, okay, we can call them, we can ask them these questions and they're not going to be judgy. They're not going to be, well, aren't you the world's biggest idiot? Um, we may be thinking it, uh, certainly not in that case, but it's having that level of, and having those communications, it cut down on the delays. So from a C-suite business side, knowing that, okay, something's starting to go sideways. We're running, the train is running off the tracks. Uh, how do we get it back on? Or knowing like, oh, here's who we need to call. That's five minutes that you've been able to regain that you can use to focus on something else that you don't have to like, all right, who in the law department do we call or who do we do this? Like, no, here's we call, here's how we bring them in. They're already looped into this other stuff we're doing. And again, when time is of the essence, then every second counts, every minute being able to do that. And you've already got that relationship. So one of the things that's sticking out in my mind as I'm listening to this is like almost that need to have the that legal team a more of, I think, ingrained in the like your your incident response plan, your incident response tests, things of that nature, and really work to educate them a little bit. Because you know what I think about when I think about you know incidents that I've been involved in, where you know they did the the quote unquote right thing of you know involving legal counsel very early on. The challenge has always been that then it becomes really difficult to get other people involved in the conversation at the point you need them because you know the lawyer is there trying to limit how far you know information is spread and and all of that, and so we're kind of like, well, wait, but we we need these people. What do you mean we can't talk to them about what's going on? And it, it adds this veil of secrecy. So I almost feel like there's maybe a, a an opportunity here for kind of two way education. And to really build and grow on that. Is that, I mean, am I, do you feel like I'm on the right track there? Or am I completely not? No, no, no. You're, you're absolutely because it's, it's getting that and the education part that I see or the opportunities for the legal team. And I'm constantly, even within our own company, working with my contracts team to say, Hey, let's take a step back. What is the business purpose? Like, what is the end game? You know, yes, we could put in this overly restrictive language and we could lock it all down. But as we've seen with security, taking everything offline, creating all these things doesn't make us more secure. Um, it just adds a different degree. So instead educating the legal team and saying, Hey, here's, here are all the pieces and the players that we're going to need. Like when this is going sideways, how can we still maintain that veil of attorney client privilege? How can we, do that, protect this, but at the same time, get the answers we need. Because the longer the business is offline or the greater, the deeper the impact to the systems, the customers, the users, like that, those delays mean bottom line. And it's great. You protected us legally, but we no longer exist as a business and our customers can no longer access our services. So don't know how we're going to pay your bill. I mean, if you put it in the, if you put it in dollars and cents, lawyers get it. It's funny how everybody seems to respond to that, right? <laughs> once, once we're talking about dollars and right. you know, and and salaries and things, you know, the things that we all yeah. kind of do all this work for, it is interesting how that can be a motivator. And it's not the heavy hammer necessarily you want to carry, but sometimes it's necessary to get people motivated. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to build trust, 
And mm -hmm. you, know, you, you made a comment on LinkedIn today about an epiphany moment that you had, <laughs> or, you, know, or you, you realized it really was your circus. <laughs> and, you know, that whole message of, okay, somehow I have to build trust into the, the rest of the business, you know, and, and so product and engineering and so forth. So I'm, I'm a little curious about that moment that you kind of had that realization and how that sort of shaped your approach to this. Well, and it's, it, keeping in mind, I got my start working in technology and security, not in any traditional route. Um, I was a business and finance doing a lot of like real estate projects. And I happened to know security researchers through social things. And they would start asking questions. And it's like you learn through the company you keep. So I would kept hearing all these different things. So that's the background that I approach things of help me help you. Uh, and having that moment where if something is going sideways or you're listening to it and it's easy to say, well, that's not my problem. That's product's problem. That's engineering. Engineering is going to solve for it. But then you realize like, oh, wait, no, as a startups, there is no such thing as somebody else's problem. It's all your problem. And frequently we said that moment you realize, oh, this is my circus. These are my monkeys. This is my problem. There is no other team to fix it. But having built that relationship where being humble enough uh, and uh, putting the ego aside to be able to go and sit with our product team going, tell me what you're doing. Like, let me sit, be the fly on the wall, uh, just listening and absorbing. So when they start talking about things, so for example, as Scythe is moving, we're building out a SaaS component of our platform. And really, I'm like, can I just listen in on those, uh, those different uh, sprint meetings? Because then I start hearing things. I'm like, oh, okay, note to self. I'm going to need to work that into this contract. I'm going to need to put in some stuff in place to deal with this. But we had built enough trust to where they let me sit in knowing that I'm like, I'm not here to rat you out. I'm not here to tell you no. I'm just here to see what you're doing. Uh, so that I can do my job better because my job as the lawyer, as the head of operations is to move the business forward. I'm here to empower you, um, you being engineering, sales, marketing, everything. And I think getting lawyer, getting the legal side, getting the uh, lawyers in the room to understand you're not here to wrap our knuckles because we did something wrong. You're here to help us do better um, as a business and having the business departments, the engineering, the technical side, understand that, yeah, they really work for you. Like really, how can we, we're all in the same boat, we're all in the same circus, like we're all rowing together. How do we have that trust so that, it's, not, it's like, who is it? Uh, we're not going to call any vendors out, but some of the security <laughs> trainings where it's like, oh, kudos, you've just scared the pants off everybody. They're now afraid to click on everything. They're now embarrassed. They don't want to turn themselves in. Like, no, the goal is that they know that, oh, like crap, I did something I wasn't supposed to do. I didn't like, here's who I call. Here's who I call right away so we can get working on it rather than, well, now I have to hide this because nobody needs to know that I, 
I don't know. It's just, that's not a helpful, productive environment. It just leads to fines and angry customers later. And this is great because, I mean, this has so many parallels, right? And I've just heard like, <laughs> with great stuff. I'm like, where do I go first? I mean, first of all, I want to point out what everything you just said is why I hate phishing campaigns so much, oh, God, right? God. Like the whole idea of these phishing simulations and whatever, especially the worst one I ever heard at a conference was, you know, uh, a, a director of cybersecurity bragging about how their organization had this three strikes and you're out rule where literally if people got caught three times clicking on a phishing campaign, they fired them. I'm like, well, what a way to encourage the wrong style of behavior because now you've made it that if they do something and they make a mistake, the worst thing they can do is report it to you when in right. reality what you want is you want them to report it to you. Yes. You don't want the delay. You don't have to spend time. Like, I don't want to have to chase this down. Like, instead, I'd like to know, okay, what did you click on? What exactly? What did it look like? How did it come in? All right. Which threat actor is this? Which issue is this? What uh, What do we need to be doing? Like, no, that's not productive. So, yeah. Yeah. And so the other part of it then that was interesting when we were talking about you, this, this moment of, um, well, holy shit, this is my circus. This is my, you know, these are my monkeys. I have, no one else is going to do this if I don't. Um, I mean, so you talk about it in the context of more of that startup environment, because there's just, there is nobody else. I mean, it's really, it's you, but I think it also parallels what I, you know, the experience of people when they kind of land in their first executive role, or especially their first C-suite role, right? You've always oh, wow. had yeah. that structure above you that was like ultimately accountable or, you know, also quite bluntly that you could always point the fingers at, right? Like, well, they oh, didn't yeah. give me enough funding or they didn't do this or that. Now you're in a C-suite role. And you're like, oh shit, this is mine. And mm -hmm. I mean, I know personally walking into my current role as a BSO and, and taking over, you know, cybersecurity for this entire division. And it was like, well, okay, this, this is all mine. I have to build those same bridges and that same trust. So do you find, I mean, do you run into that with customers then that, you know, that you're working with as well, where you have to kind of help them understand how to, how to build that trust that maybe, it, you know, that they sort of aren't really seeing that yet? Absolutely. And that's one of the things we've, we have, as the company grows, we're really building out and focusing on how do we like, okay, are customers using and maximizing our product? Well, okay, maybe not in the past. It's like, all right, well, how can we help them? How do we help them? You know, what did they need? Do they need buy-in with the data that they've collected or like the reports? Do they need buy-in on the budget? Do they need buy-in on something that really isn't related to us per se, but helps move their ball forward? And how do we provide those trainings? How do we have those conversations? How do we provide, like, what tools do you need um, as we do some of this? And that's been a focus uh, where we're building out. But even as, you know, even as like when you go into that C-suite role, looking at the other folks around the table and understanding that they, maybe it's been a few years since they've had their oh snap moment, but they've had it. We've all been there and we're all fighting for the same, like fighting on the same team to like, all right, here's what my team's doing. Here's what security is, but 
here's how security is going to help your team do better. And having like realizing like we've all kind of stared around the table going like, when did I become the adult in the room? And am I really the adult in the room or can I go back? Like, no, no, this is your circus. These are your monkeys right now. (laughs) Well, spotlights on you. That I like, I really like the message about the common, you know, the common goal at the end of the day. Right. Um, and I can extend that into a lot of different things. When we talk about DevOps and DevSecOps, we talk about shared responsibility and that that's that mm-hmm. same concept, right? It, we see in a lot of different spaces. And part of the reason why I want to go here is it's a cool segue into something that's going on in the, in the chat discussion right now regarding what we just mentioned on this phishing situation, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about phishing and why it, it bothers me that someone had this three strikes in your out rule, one of our, our viewers mentioned, you know, well, if a person isn't learning, they're now a liability. True, true point. But where is the failure is my question. Is the failure in the user or is the failure in your organization's ability to educate your users in an effective way that they don't make the same mistakes multiple times? And so I feel like that's where, you know, are we trying to weed out people are we trying to get everybody united in that same front do you do you run into that conversation and if so do you have thoughts on like how we can create that better focus well and one of the other questions you have to ask is have we created a system that acknowledges like assume they're going to click on the thing they're not supposed to assume somebody's going to have a bad day um a I'd say like a senior moment is what I call, or like, quite frankly, my brain just glitched, you know, that's going to happen. Everyone's going to have that happen. But when you think about it from the uh, business email compromise and the financial, you know, do you have, have you looked at your system and say, okay, let's assume they click on that. Do we have a backup? Do we have a redundancy? Can we build one in so that when, um, I always laugh when uh, I get attempts that are supposedly from our CEO, Brayson. It's like, hello, Elizabeth. Uh, And I'm just looking at going, one, there are way too many words in that email for it to actually be Brayson. And you just asked for my cell phone number. I'm like, but dude, we text all the time about business stuff. Like, no. But I also know that there are certain financial controls in place so that if I tried to send that email or that's not email, but that wire, um, it would set off. I would have a couple of stop gaps that we built in that are there for a reason so that if I get fooled by something or someone else does, there's there's a secondary, it's like multi-factor authentication. Like, do we have these other things, if that's possible, like, have we evaluated from it, assuming something's going to happen? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, anybody out there who knows Bryson knows that Liz is probably like the first in his speed dial or <laughs> list of favorites. I mean, come on. <laughs> but, right. And, and it's kind of like when your parents, like when you would get in trouble and they would use your full name, I'm like, Bryson's not going to call me Elizabeth unless I have like gone. I'm like, yeah. No, <laughs> nice try. Not today, Seed. Not today. But see, I feel like these are the lessons that we miss, right? When we're trying to educate mm-hmm. users, I feel like we miss those. You know, it. 
we kind of talk about the sniff test, but we don't want to do that because we want to boil everything down into very objective things. You know, well, look at the links and, you know, look at the from address. We want to give them these series of steps. And I, I feel like we could do more to really actually focus people on just, you know, a lot, so many times it's the sniff test. Sit back and just think about what did you just get? Did it feel wrong? Did it feel weird? Was there something that was different about it than what you're used to? Um, you know, because if your job, I, I'm actually going to borrow, I'm going to throw this up here. Um, you know, if, as Phil says, if your job is to open invoices all day, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. You get an email, it says invoice attached, you're conditioned to open it. So yeah. if you're not thinking in terms of, wait, this came in weird. This isn't normally, it has, you know, some identifier or something else or whatever, you know, that's a moment we should be teaching people to say, okay, something is weird here. We can't tell you what's going to feel weird but it's a sniff test thing. And I feel like we get so focused on objectivity, maybe we lose that. Well, and also having it set up. So one of the things that uh, I have truly like the best example of is the network segmentation that we had um, city of Atlanta. Um, and so if I'm in finance and accounting, should I have, should someone be able to get, if they've compromised my credentials, my laptop, my things, that shouldn't give them the keys to the kingdom. There should be, have we designed the system well enough? So one of the things like with the city is we had different networks that the airport ran off of. Well, great, because we had the world's busiest airport. And if you've got, if, if the city's compromised, that's one thing, but imagine how bad it was going to be if they had also been able to shut down every, I mean, we think, uh, you know, delays at LaGuardia is bad or coming back from Black Hat and Defcon, like if, you know, one of the airlines, just imagine the ripple effect that that would have. And yeah, like one of the comments, like assume breach you assume someone's going to get in, but have we put the controls in place that minimize the damage uh, or minimize the impact? And yeah, I mean, trust me, my team has figured out very, I'm like, you need to idiot proof it. I do not need, I do not need access to everything. You don't want me touching the code. Like you don't want me <laughs> anywhere near it. <laughs> but that's, I mean, as evidence for like everyone else, it, same thing applies. Uh, the uh, product team doesn't need my access to our bank accounts. <laughs> so have you put those places or systems in place at an executive product at the DevSec level? Like, have we contemplated what's going to go wrong? Assume something is going to go wrong. Yeah. Every, I, I, so first of all, I love the the Atlanta airport is a great example of this because I've heard I mean I've heard people speculate that if you shut down ATL for like 24 hours, you would put Delta out of business. For instance, I don't know if that's really true, but it would definitely hurt them. Um, but it's you know, and that's why I think we've heard the the conversations have changed now to the idea of resiliency. How do we? limit, and I'm going to use this term, I hate this term because I hate anything that equates cybersecurity and military, but limit the blast radius, so <laughs> to speak. Um, people love that term. I don't know why. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's what we're trying to do so often. And it goes right along with that statement of, and this is one of my least favorite cliches, so I'm apparently throwing all the bad things out there right now, but, um, you know, the it's not if you get breached, but when. 
um, which is true in spirit. But yeah, say that to your board sometime and then try to get funding for something. Like I can't <laughs> right. protect you from getting breached, but give me this money to protect you from getting breached. Wow. It, and depending on which agencies you're following, like the um, Securities and Exchange Commission, you know, they're starting to put in. So it's like, hey, they're assuming we're going to get breached, but we just need to tell people about it sooner. Otherwise, dear board, they're going to hit you in the pocketbook um, and it's actually going to be fines against you. Um, and with some same thing with patching, if we're not patching, you know. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's in the cliches of the flagpole. Yeah. At least you didn't say like left of boom or right of boom. Oh my word. Oh. That was going to be like, a, like we needed like a gong or something. Um, <laughs> right. But, but yeah, it's uh, the Atlanta airport had a fire that shut down our power for like four hours and the ripple effect for all the airlines, including Delta, was just days of trying to get back on uh, like, yeah, take that stuff down. But, you know, especially like keeping those conversations and getting everybody on the same page so that they understand, hey, this isn't some esoteric concept that if this, when this happens, here's what it's going to do and having a game plan in place. Oh, and a printed copy. Someone somewhere needs to have a copy of the game plan that is not saved to the same system that just went down. Sorry. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. So, I mean, looking at this then, and it's, it's so interesting, you know, when we think about, okay, how we've evolved in cybersecurity from the days of trying to use FUD to then, you know, empowerment. I think you used that term before. And I think, you know, that's a term that's growing in popularity with CISOs. I hear it more and more. Unfortunately, I, and I think I've probably <laughs> talked about this on this show before. I feel like sometimes that's an empty word because when I ask some people, okay, tell me how you empower the business, the answers are, don't always really sound like empowerment. So I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, if you're talking to somebody in the cybersecurity industry and you're trying to help them understand what does that actually mean for security to empower the business? What does it mean to you? Well, when I'm approaching it and when I'm like, when I'm using it in that context of what can security do, it's how can we not be a roadblock uh, so sure, you should have six different passwords, codes, and, you know, synchronized uh, physical switches you should be throwing just to check your email. Absolutely. No, that's not empowering. Empowering is how can we make your job easier while also keeping in the back of your mind that if, if, when the business is compromised, if you no longer have access to the documents that you're working on, the data that you need. Well, okay, that's not empowering. That's the exact opposite. So how can we do this so that you're making the best decisions for what you need to do with your, like, what is your circus? You know, what is your end game? And how can we make that easier? Be it 
long-term or even in the short-term? Like, how do we get you there faster? If stuff goes offline, well, don't worry, we've got the backups here. We've got these redundancies. We've got these, you know, or like, okay, well, I mean, that one of the worst things is watching businesses when they go there, like, well, we have a backup of that, right? Right. (laughs) And it's a clean backup that we know is clean, right? Right. Or just because we don't have access to this, uh, like heavens forbid Salesforce goes down. Like I, I don't even think it's like when we lose certain things or Slack, the whole business just kind of stares at each other going, well, what do we do now? We can't message each other funny memes on Slack. Like, okay, well, have you empowered? Like, do we have another way to do this? Do we have a plan? Do we have, uh, some way to get around it? Do we have these redundancies built in? So, and that's, see, I love that because, you know, at the end of the day, if if you're reducing friction, right. I mean, then that's, you know, again, another dev, that's my role. I come from dev tech ops. So everything, you know, I use a lot of those terms, but, and reducing your dev tech is showing. Yeah. (laughs) But, but that's a critical element because here's the thing. And uh, I, you know, I'm throwing out all the bad cliches, apparently, again, I'm, I'm fresh off of a, a different podcast where we talked about these. So they're all coming to mind. But another one that's been bothering me is people for a long time have been saying, well, you know, as CISOs, you got to speak the language of business and the language of business is risk. No, it's not. It's revenue. It's right? revenue and net income. That's the language of business. And that happens through innovation, through market expansion, through you know organic business development things like that risk is only a little part of that and then when you look at risk we're only this little piece so i feel like okay we have to be focused on how do we improve innovation right and yeah. to your point well if you're taking friction out of there and saying hey we can let you expand into these new technologies we have this frictionless approach to how we make sure that it's secure, that isn't going to slow you down. That's going to help you get to market first, which then has ooh, a revenue number attached to it, right? Right. Right. And putting the putting the dollars to the risk. Uh, we're always going to have risk. Sure. But can we find ways to minimize it? How do we navigate or plan for it in the sense of, yes, if we've made this decision, we have gone with this vendor, this process, this whatever. So if it goes sideways, it's going to cost us in the tune of X. Okay. That helps them make the business decisions that go again, back to the dollars and cents. It's how we budgeted for this. Have we found ways, uh, you know, do we have the insurance in place? Do Have we found ways to mitigate it, manage it? So that we can, as you said, get back to you, because when we're sitting in front of the board meetings, it the risk is there. It's in the back of everyone's mind. But really, it's, as you said, like, all right, what's our growth? What's our, you know, what's our runway? What's our, for startups, what's the burn rate? What's this? Where where are we getting to the next dollar? Like, yeah, that's what that's what's ruling the conversation. Oh, and you brought up a really interesting, because you, you said a great term there, that baffles security people who don't also have business acumen. And that was that, that term burn rate and what that means <laughs> for a startup. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but this is, I mean, this is a theme and yeah. it, I've, I've had people 
ask me on you know socials sometimes you know, what if, if I want to move into senior levels of leadership in cybersecurity, what's the one skill I should get? And I always tell them, go buy, there's, and I've mentioned, I think this book on the show before too, but go buy the 10 day MBA. I'm not going to tell you to go out and yeah. get an MBA, but God, if you can learn some of those aspects of what business people learn in those MBA programs, that's more meaningful really than more cybersecurity skills. Because as you move up in leadership, you need to be able to understand what the heck does burn rate mean when I'm working in a startup? And a lot yeah. of people, I think in cybersecurity are mystified by those terms because we're not, we're so, we get so focused on the technology and the threats and all of those things. We forget how that all connects into the rest of the business. Well, it's like the same thing with the lawyers. Um, if you if you approach it from, well, we can't do that. It's too risky. It's too, you know, uh, legally we have to take this absolute straight and narrow. From a security side, well, absolutely you can't connect to use, et cetera. You have to do this. This is the only way. And kind of breaking that mindset a little bit, softening it to say, yeah, it is the business. You know, it is the, you know, at the end of the day, if we can't operate, deliver, if we have a product, if we have a service, or you know, if customers aren't using us, you don't have a job. So kudos, you created the most secure whatever, but you don't have a paycheck. Uh, yeah, kind of missed the boat. Yeah, no, and that that's exactly it. And I mean, I, I've watched, you know, I've been in this cybersecurity world I'm ashamed to admit it almost 20 years now. I can't believe I'm that. How am I that old? (laughs) But, but the reality I've watched that again, I mean, I kind of mentioned evolutions and we've been talking about this, this evolutionary progression. And that, that is one of those areas too, where we've, we've slowly, it's been more and more about the business because yeah, um, I, I used to joke, Hey, you know, the, Information security utopia is that impenetrable room filled with computers that <laughs> right. have no connection to anything. Oh, great. Oh, because air gapping works. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. secure, but useless. Mm-hmm. So we're getting down. I, wow, this went really, really fast. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, so we're getting down to the time we got to wrap up. I want to ask you one last question because you get to see a lot of clients. You, you, know, you, you obviously mm-hmm. work with a lot of different customers. If there is one piece of advice you could give them to kind of build build these bridges, build this trust that we've been talking about, what is the one lesson you'd want them to take from this entire conversation or something that we haven't said yet that you just wish you could you could get into the mind of every every leader out there? Kind of two two aspects of it. One, give grace. Uh, be understanding, but understand that when people are asking the questions, so one, don't be afraid to ask the questions. If you're not sure, if you want to see how something plays in, or you want to know like, what is our end game? Ask the questions. But then when someone is asking you the question of like, gosh, this is the stupidest question ever. Like, no, give them a little bit of grace because we're all moving forward and be understanding. And it's not, oh, our users are so stupid. Well, no, they're just coming from, yeah, with gosh, please talk to your legal team. I mean, it is, but embedding, when I say asking the questions, having that, 
having the legal team, having all those pieces of the conversation, giving them access to the room, giving them grace to sit there in the back of the room and just listen because it will help them be better. So perhaps it's the asking questions, listening and being understanding when people are. I mean, because of course, somebody's gonna click on the link, but have we invited the people into the conversation so that we have a backup plan or we know what to do? We have that playbook. We have, you know, do we know what the customers want? Well, yes, because we listened to them. Uh, we asked the questions and we gave them grace when they asked them. I love that. Um, yeah, we also describe it sometimes as assume positive intent, right? If, you know, <laughs> right. But instead of assuming that they're they're just careless or they're dumb or they, you know, developers don't care about writing secure code or whatever else, stop making those assumptions and assume that they want to do the right things, and that we just can be more effective in bringing that message. And it's fair to say that lawyers suck. But uh, <laughs> make sure they're like is still moving the business forward. I mean, I try not to say that because I do have to work with them on a pretty regular basis. And I, I, I prefer to not tell them they suck because they might tell me I'm stupid and they might be right there too. So <laughs> I was say, where, where do vampires learn to suck blood? Law school. <laughs> you heard it from the lawyer. It wasn't me, I promise. Awesome. Well, that is like the perfect way to wrap things up. Liz, this has been amazing. I am so glad we got to have you on. I've you know, as every week I say this, we could probably go on for hours. Um, unfortunately, the show doesn't go that long and people might not stick around for that much conversation, but it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. And as always, you are such a delight and insightful just human being. So thank you for allowing me to participate in the conversation. I love it. Thank you so much. So, and to all of you out there, great to see you on. It's been really lively chat today, which is a, a great sign. Um, you know, we'll have more conversations like this. We've got great guests lined up every week. Um, you know what? If there's somebody you want to see, I happen to think of this, and I'm a, this is my last thing before we sign off. If there's somebody you think would be a great guest on securing bridges, let me know. I mean, we're, we're, we're scheduling out a few months, but I would love to get some other ideas of, you know, folks you'd love to see who might have some new takes or whatever. Go ahead, shoot me a message, DM me through Twitter or just at me on Twitter or you know, send me a message on LinkedIn, whatever. Um, but let me know. I'm always looking for new creative voices that are outside of, you know, maybe my circles. So we'd love to have them on. Um, but to Liz, to all of you, thank you so much. We will see you next time on Securing Bridges. Until then, be good to each other. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.